everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. My name is Sarah. And I'm Bree. And joining us on the podcast today, we have special guest author Anna J. Stewart. Welcome to the podcast, ma'am. Tell us how your 2021 has been. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this all week. Mm-hmm. Um, 2021's been a challenge. Uh, I think it has been for a lot of people. But mm-hmm. uh, you know what? Thankfully, this year, everybody's uh, healthy and relatively happy and safe. And uh, the words are coming again. So I, 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 th- I think 2021 is shaping up to be pretty good. Yeah. Did you find writing a struggle in 2020? We've heard for some authors it did. And then for some Mm -hmm. authors it, you know, the writing helped them with the escape of what was going on. How was it for you? Um, For the first part of 2020, I would say I was actually thriving. I was doing really, really well. Um, It's kind of like a lot of authors have been kind of training for 2020 for their entire lives because (laughs) we can't go out of the house. You're forced to sit in front of the computer, whether or not you're writing or not. So it's kind of like the excuse you were all looking for, right? Finding the silver lining wherever I can. Mm -hmm. And um, and then my mother uh, got ill in October. Uh, Mm -hmm. It was not COVID related. Uh, She had heart issues. And for the next six months, literally the words just stopped. Mm -hmm. And of course, this is on top of having deadlines. And with deadlines, you know, that deadlines and paychecks kind of go hand in hand. So as the deadlines, as I missed deadlines, because I couldn't write, I wasn't getting paid. So that added to Mm -hmm. the stress of not being able to write. But um, I did a few things to get myself out of that. Thanks to, and this is where a support system comes in really handy. And um, I finally, uh, I think about uh, four months ago, the words finally kicked back in. So I've been gradually running the hamster wheel to catch up on the deadlines that I missed. And I will say my editors at Harlequin have been amazing when it comes to shifting out release dates and deadlines and stuff like that, checking in on me. How's, how are things going? Are you okay? That kind of thing. So mm-hmm. um, that makes a huge difference uh, in getting the tension out of my brain. Yeah. But yes, the words are back mm-hmm. finally. Oh, good. That's amazing. Yeah. And mom is fine too. So oh, that's even better. That's even better. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Even more important. <laughs> There's the important thing. That's right. <laughs> So we shall start off with some icebreaker questions, excuse me. So the first one is, one of the photos we must ask about on your Instagram is a photo of a 661-page paranormal romance manuscript. What can you tell us about it? Oh my. Okay. So, uh, first of all, we, we had to, we had, we had to call you out here. We that's had right. to. It's, I think it's, I don't know what's more shocking that I had the guts to post that or that somebody actually looks at my Instagram page, but, um, <laughs> cause I'm gradually trying to get used to Instagram cause I'm usually a Facebook girl and I would mm-hmm. love to sh- make the shift and Oh Lord, people are looking. Um, so yeah, that was a paranormal romance. I wrote <laughs> a very long time ago. Um, and, uh, paranormal was actually where I wanted to, where I really want to be paranormal romance is my first love but it's also the toughest sell in traditional publishing especially these days so um yeah that that's what happens when you don't have an editor and (laughs) you don't think you need writing classes and that you know it all and look what I could produce and um I uh, refrained from reading said manuscript because I didn't think I could take it um but it's definitely a look how far I've come 
thing and I did keep it and it's still in the binder and it's still in my office and someday I'll dig it out and edit it and and publish it I hope maybe someday we'll see because uh, <laughs> I still do love paranormal romance but yeah that is definitely um evidence of what a writing education can do and I fixed. mean it's it's you could easily make it like three books oh <laughs> right totally. like a trilogy <laughs> totally in fact I think one of my friends who had read the book at the time she says oh my god why haven't you cut that into three pieces and just published it like that and I'm like <laughs> because I'd have to cut it into three pieces and pieces yeah, yeah. so <laughs> so can we before Sarah gets to the next one can we talk about this just for a minute like as I mean especially now that you you have you've actually you have published books you know what you're doing um I mean I know for me as a reader I love paranormal and there are some authors that are still pushing out those titles but for the most part it's a subgenre that really hasn't come back around so as a writer who like that is your first love and that was the story that you really wanted to put out there I guess like can you talk a little bit about the market and like wanting to put this story out, but knowing it's not the time for it. Um, just, I don't know when you yeah. wrote it, was it during paranormal's heyday? And then when you get it finished, mm -hmm. like the heyday's kind of over. <laughs> can you, can you walk us through that a little bit? Well, I, I think, um, so I, I was a reader long before I started to write. Uh, well, not long before. I started to write soon after I discovered romances. But um, I think with paranormal, paranormal is a very steady subgenre of romance. It has a core dedicated readership. Uh, yeah. It also has a very large readership that crosses over into other genres, uh, both within the romance industry and, or romance genre and other genres as well. So, and that's, I think, can be said of most romance authors in particular. They read, romance readers tend to read everything. It's just romance is their favorite. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. speaking for the world here, obviously. Um, but um, for... With me, paranormal, I've always kind of written out of the box. I've never written anything that is easily put into a category. You know, I don't write vampires. I don't write werewolves. I don't write shapeshifters. I write more um, character, like the not this one, but the book I finaled in the Golden Heart with was uh, Supernatural Treasure Hunters, which oh, I, love I had, that. yeah, I, right? <laughs> readers, I think, and I think this is where the disconnect is, is that readers, I think, want stuff like that. But I don't necessarily think publishers know how to market something okay. like that. And heaven forbid they actually ask the author if they have any ideas, because mm -hmm. my, my, um, my Golden Heart book actually did come very close with three different publishers and all three of them had the same issue. It says, we don't know how to market this. And I'm like, you really think I'd be submitting this without having ideas of how to market this? And I had marketing ideas, which is unusual for me. But um, so I, and it just came down to what was the real dream. Was the real dream to be published in Paranormal Romance or was it to be published? And my mm -hmm. real dream was to be published in Romance. And, you know, Harlequin was the first, um, the first book I ever read was a Harlequin. It was the trigger for me. And the dream was always to write for Harlequin as well as other publishing houses if they'd have me. Um, so it just, uh, it just took a shift of, um, a shift of career, 
plans mm-hmm. actually yeah. Um, yeah that shifted me back toward uh, contemporary romance because that the book just tanked it just didn't get anywhere and mm-hmm. uh, my agent at the time says what else do you have and what else I had was uh, my very very first book I ever wrote which was not 600 pages thank god <laughs> um, uh, but it was a contemporary romance and then uh, when I buckled down and rewrote that we submitted it and <laughs> And then I sold to Harlequin and Berkeley within like two or three months of each other. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So shifting perspective and shifting, shifting the, uh, the path that I took, but not necessarily the goal that I wanted to attain. Uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's the path that I decided to take with that. Awesome. Uh, if you had an extra hour in the day, what would you do with it? Read. There you go. <laughs> I, I never have enough time to read anymore. And I, and I know, you know, I, I, uh, Stephen King is one of my heroes and he always says, if you don't have time to read, you don't have time to write. Yeah. Well, sorry. I don't have time to read. Uh, cause I spend all my time writing. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I, I, but I miss it. I miss reading so much. And I, and that's not to say I don't read at all. You know, uh, I have my authors that when they have a book come out, I'm right there and I'm reading them and then I'm knocking them out in a day. Uh, but you know, I have to spend the time churning out the words cause I got books yeah. I got to write. Sure. So to that question, can you give us the name of a couple of uh, must-buy or must-read authors for you? Uh, well, uh, top of my list is always Nora Roberts, and God, that's so mm-hmm. predictable. But she was uh, she wrote the first romance I ever read, so that is always. And her J.D. I'm behind on her Nora books, but I am right up to date on the J.D. Robb books, which are mm-hmm. like crack for me. I love, love, <laughs> love those books. I love the world, and I love that character, and I love the fact that she can get to how many in books in this series, and there's still oh. something new to uncover with these characters. And to yep. me, that is just, it's genius. So she's a must-buy for me. Um, you know, I have some really good friends who are romance authors, and they're always mm-hmm. on my pre-order, and that's Melinda Curtis and Carolyn oh. Webb, uh, Amy Vastine, Carrie, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Carol Ross. Mm-hmm. Uh, Catherine Lanigan has become a uh, must-buy for me. Uh, so many of the heartwarming authors, because I didn't mm-hmm. read heartwarming before I wrote for them, really. And now I'm just like Kathy McDavid and uh, Tanya Angler, who's one of my new favorites. And um, and then uh, skipping out of the sweet category, you know, you've got uh, Reese Ryan, who writes for Desire mm-hmm. and who I just absolutely adore. Um Oh my gosh, I'm trying to think what's in my to-be-read list right now. Oh, I just got uh, Jane Ann Krentz's the first book in her Hollywood series because everybody's been raving about it, and I'm Ooh. hoping to write a Hollywood series later this year. So I'm like, okay, now I need inspiration. So th- those yeah. are a lot of my those are a awesome. lot of my must buys. Awesome. What is the best thing you've purchased for yourself so far this year? <laughs> if you had asked me this yesterday, you would have gotten a completely different answer. <laughs> Uh, okay. <laughs> because this morning I've been I've been going back and forth on a new craft that I would love to explore uh, which is a cricket machine which for those <gasps> who haven't heard about it they're the mm-hmm. it's the it's the cutting machine that will cut anything mm-hmm. and um I've done crafting for a lot of years. I did dollhouse miniatures for years, but this is just like, oh my God, I should not be doing this. And then I woke up this morning to an email that says crickets are on sale at Michael's for cheapest price ever. And I'm like, 
damn you, Michaels. I know, Michaels, when they send those dang on oh, emails. <laughs> I swear, it's like, are you in my brain? Right. So, right? It's like, so I agree, the- all the fall stuff is on sale. And I'm like, great. Yeah. <laughs> Just what I needed. <laughs> so I'm like, well, it's the cheapest price. So of course mm-hmm. I have to buy it. But I've told myself I cannot open the box. Uh, I ordered it online, so it'll take a few days to get here, thank God. Okay. And then I have to find a place to put it and set up. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, that box will not get opened until I write the end to the final Butterfly Harbor book, which is due like now. So um, I, I have <laughs> a couple. Fair. It's going to be sitting there for a couple of weeks while I finish the book. I it's it's my it's my reward for finishing yeah, the Butterfly Harbor series. Yeah, but you. if you had asked me this question yesterday, I would have said my air fryer. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, if you came with a warning label, what would it say? I'm on deadline. Beware. There you go. <laughs> Seriously, just just it's a good thing we're on. I mean, I'm in California, so we're all pretty much still on lockdown most of the time. Anyway, yeah. it's a good thing because uh, when I'm on deadline, I shouldn't be around people. <laughs> really it's sad uh what's one thing you find yourself nostalgic for hmm. you know what I really miss the neighborhood I grew up in um mm. I grew up in San Francisco I grew up in the Sunset District which uh and it was in the 70s so I had and I literally lived like around the corner from a whole maybe 10 12 blocks of streets uh, of shops and businesses and restaurants and all kinds of stuff and it had it looking back on it now I see it really had a small town feel to it Mm -hmm. um and in fact that's where the used bookstore was that I used to get my romance novel addiction fed uh it was a great (laughs) the great the owner was phenomenal uh because she was so excited to see a young person just come in and buy Mm -hmm. bags of romance novels probably because she was <laughs> grateful to get them out of the store but then I just bring them back and get a new bag mm-hmm. um but uh I I really miss that that nostalgia of 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 the neighborhood I grew up in which is now completely different than it was when I was growing up so yeah. there is no going back but I, I I'm grateful for what I did have yeah awesome. well before we move on to the next question I want to talk about something that I thought of while you were talking about the deadline. So this is a question that I think we haven't asked yet, Sarah, Mm. when you, okay. So you pitch a book and you sign the contract for it, which I'm sure I'm missing a bunch of stuff in the middle of it. (laughs) So you were talking about deadline. How long are you, I guess, given to write the book before the first deadline happens? (laughs) Can you talk about that? Sure. Um, it's, it's usually a conversation with my editor. She says, okay, looking at your calendar, what are good due dates for you? And here's where the problem comes in. I'm not psychic. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> nobody is because otherwise nobody would have picked 2020 to have a deadline. Um, <laughs> but um, it's, uh, I usually try to build in on if i if everything is going great i can write a book in about 6 to 8 weeks okay, that's wow. if like everything is ideal right. uh, and the heart both the heartwarmings and the romantic suspense which are the two lines i write for they're 70,000 words so mm-hmm. and my rationale for that is well i've written a couple of 100,000 words 
books. So, you know, and I've written a 661 page book. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so obviously 70,000 really shouldn't be that difficult by comparison. Um, but um, it's, it's pretty much looking at the calendar and, and seeing what, what I think that I can accomplish. I've gotten much tougher on myself as far mm-hmm. as needing more time these days. The more books I write, I think it's taking me longer to, because I want to produce something that's easy for my editor to edit. I don't want to be the author who turns in just something that needs so much work. Yeah. Uh, and then you literally almost have to rewrite it when you get it back, just because you didn't find the right way to tell that story. So, um, yeah, usually, uh, usually my editor and I go back and back and forth and I send her a couple of dates. I have made the mistake of saying, eh, my schedule is open. Do what works for you. Oh no. That would be, a, that would be what I would call a newbie mistake. Don't, don't okay. do that. Don't do that because your editor will literally say, oh great, we can plug her in anywhere. We'll mm-hmm. have these books in. Yeah, I could pull that off for, I think, the first two or three years I pulled it off. I can't pull that off anymore. So mm-hmm. um, I, I have turned in a new proposal recently, and I have already looked at my calendar and say, okay, depending on if and when they accept this, these are the dates I can turn these in. So mm-hmm. um, it's fortunately, uh, at least up till now, I've been given the opportunity to choose when I turn my books in. Well, you mentioned that you're, the first romance author you read was Nora Roberts. So can you mm-hmm. tell us your romance origin story? Like, how did sure. you, how did that happen? <laughs> uh, so let's have the harp music. Looking back to high school, uh, <laughs> let's see. So it would have been 1985. And I know this because I am actually holding that first book that I read. Wow. Oh. Yeah, I still have it. The cover is laminated. I actually got it signed by Nora Roberts at the first writer's convention I went to. I even have my pathetic little high school signature in the front page. Um, Oh my gosh, I love that so much. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Uh, you know, has the contact paper on the, on the front. I haven't read this in a while. I'm going to have to go back and read it again. But, um, so, in high school, we had those standardized tests, you know, where it was a Scantron test where you always had to, mm-hmm. I don't know what the heck they were trying to evaluate. I, <laughs> this is how bad a student I was in high school <laughs> because I just wanted to read and I had forgotten yeah. to take a book with me. So a friend of mine gave me the romance she had just finished and it happened to be uh, Partners written by Nora Roberts. It was number 94 of the Silhouette Intimate Moments line from wow. 1985, I think. So it was a uh, freshman, sophomore year of high school. <laughs> so we go into, we take the test and I was the student who would fill out the Scantron in a pattern instead of reading the questions. <laughs> Because I am horrible at multiple choice tests. I just, I can't, you give me an essay exam, I can ace that because I can, I can write about anything. But if you Mm -hmm. give me A, B, C, D to choose from, I will, whether I know the answer or not, I will choose the wrong one. That is Mm -hmm. just the way my brain works. So I would be done with these tests, like, you know, in the blink of an eye, because I literally just colored in the form. So, um, so I finished the first round of tests and I picked up that book and it was, I don't even know how to describe it, but by the time I turned the last page on that book and I'm a fast reader, so I think I finished it that night. I'm like, oh my God, I have to know how to do this. Yeah. And then shortly thereafter, um, uh, a group of friends and I started writing what now what they would call fan fiction Mm -hmm. uh 
and um, so we were writing uh, mini romances since I had started writing romance reading romance of course I assumed I could write it immediately mm-hmm. and wrong uh, so yeah we just started writing these little fan fiction stories about us and our favorite rock stars and now I oh won't tell God. you who was starring in mine um, <laughs> I love it I really haven't outgrown it so it doesn't really um, I'm still fans so uh, mm-hmm. but everybody else outgrew the storytelling and I didn't it just it just mm-hmm. got worse and worse and worse and worse until finally, you know, it's literally like, what am I even in school for? I just want to write and I just want to read. So that's, mm-hmm. that's really, and like I said, I had a great used bookstore around the corner from my house uh, where romance novels were like 25 cents, 50 cents. And I could literally oh. take my allowance down there and get an enormous bag of books and I would read them over the week. And mm-hmm. I could literally go through 10 or 12 romances in a week. And then I go back the next weekend and it would just, it just, I, that's what I did for years. Can, what was it about? I mean, I know you said it's been a while since you've read it, but do you remember what it was about partners that like mm-hmm. you were just hooked on and like couldn't put it down? I do. And I think it was the independence of the heroine. Okay, uh, cool. This heroine knew how to take care of herself. She wasn't relying on a man to rescue her or anything. It was, uh, and and I think I've this has followed through with my own writing <clears throat> is, and I think Nora has kind of always been about this, uh, at least in the in the early books that I remember reading of hers, is that, and I actually have this on my website, I write books about women who want a man, they don't need one. Mm-hmm. And when they find the one that they want, that's who they go after. And I, and I think um, this particular book, it had suspense, it had mystery, and there was the, the attraction between the hero and the heroine. And um, I'll also say, you know, romance novels gave me a great sex education, you know, and I say, I say that in all seriousness, I was very lucky. I went to, uh, I went to Catholic school for kindergarten through 12. I was very lucky in my high school years uh, that we had a great sex education program, which was ironic because uh, our classes were taught by Sister Doris, who was this little itty bitty nun. (laughs) and it just to this day it just cracks me up but she took it so seriously and this was also at the beginning of the AIDS epidemic and of course living in San Francisco Mm. we were right in the middle of everything and my high school presentation which sadly is no more uh was so diligent in educating us about the truth about AIDS and the truth Mm -hmm. about safe sex and uh uh it it took the while it was still a religious school, it took the religion out of uh, saving lives because their okay. viewpoint was that we're not preventing, we're preventing deaths. Yep. And yeah. to this day that has stuck with me. So that combined with romance novels, you know, I grew up with a very healthy attitude about sex and mm-hmm. um, I'm very grateful to that school for that um, and for a lot of other things. But uh, it was on the fringe of really what you would expect from a Catholic school. And they mm-hmm. far exceeded, I think, what they needed to do. And uh, I, I mean, I can't speak for my other classmates, but it's something to this day I'm very appreciative of. Yeah, that is so cool. I went to a Catholic school in the Midwest and I'm like, we did not have sex ed. <laughs> oh, wow. Ours was mandatory. Ours was uh, freshman year. It was mandatory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. it was required class. Yeah, that's fascinating. And and I totally agree. It's uh, Sarah and I ch- chat about it all the time. Like 
you know, as a mom, I have a daughter who's turning 13 this year. And I'm like, I can't wait for the day where she wants to read one of my romance novels. I'm like, here Mm -hmm. you go. Because I mean, everything that we read is about it's when it comes to that, it's very empowering. There's Mm -hmm. lots of talk about protection and there's birth control is mentioned. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm sure maybe once upon a time that stuff wasn't necessarily in there. But for the most part, what we see these days, I feel like is very healthy. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So you talked about writing the fan fiction, (laughs) but at what point in your life did you realize you wanted to pursue writing professionally? (sighs) Toward the end of high school. Uh, You know, everybody's planning on where they want to go to college and what they want to do. And I had no intention of going to college. I mean, let's go Mm -hmm. back to that Scantron test. Let's face (laughs) it. That's what I was thinking. (laughs) College and I were not going to be a good match. But what, um, uh, but I think what I realized is that um, I needed to at least get, well, and also I I went to work full time. If my mom, my mom said, if you're not going to college, you're going to work. Yeah. So I went to work. And the next semester I enrolled at ARC, American River College, and I stayed there for a number of years and just took classes in anything that interested me. And I realized, and I changed my major six times in college because every time I changed my major, it was because I had discovered a new book and a new character. And I'm like, oh, I want to be that. So I'm going to change my major. So at one point I wanted to be an anthropologist. Um, I forgot what sounds about right. You know what? It was it was a Nora Roberts book that did that. I think it was Tonight and Always, where the where the heroine was an anthropologist, and I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh my god, that sounds great. Because of course that means I'm going to meet a hero like she did, and everything's going to be fun. Yeah, everything's going to be great. (laughs) So then, and then I discovered the Patricia Cornwell um, K. Scarpetta books. Oh yes. Uh, And the first five of those were just, oh, they were so good. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be a medical examiner. Look at romance inspiring career paths here. Right? <laughs> but then I realized, okay, to be a medical examiner, you have to go to medical school. School, yeah. Lots of so, scantrons, just so, saying. Oh my God, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> so this kind of went on and my pattern kind of kept repeating. And I'm like, hang on a second. Instead of changing my majors and becoming all of these things, why don't I focus in on English and mm-hmm. writing, which although, let's face it, majoring in English is really majoring in reading. Yeah. Um, but I can be anything I want to be mm-hmm. in the time it takes me to write a book. I can mm-hmm. be that character. I can learn everything I want to about that occupation. And I can be that person until I finish that book. And then I can move on to something else. Mm-hmm. So I think that was when it really clicked for me that, um, okay, this is where I need to get serious. But then it, it took me another 10, 12 years before I really locked down and got so serious about it was that I had to get published. And that was yeah. mainly because, uh, the other option was to not get published. And I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't want to take that road. I wanted the harder one. Well, in 2014, your first romance released, Christmas Actually, with mm-hmm. Harlequin's heartwarming line. Can you share with us what your journey to becoming published was like? And I have to say, it's really interesting your first book that was published was a Christmas book, because I feel like that's <sighs> something that authors write eventually. Yeah. So that's really yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, and I did it right out of the gate and got that yeah. out of the way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which don't get me wrong, I love the Christmas season. So, I mm-hmm. mean, it's sick. I, I start decorating Thanksgiving Day, the Christmas decorations go up. So, but um, 
so I'm going to mention a name here that I've already mentioned once, and I'll probably mention a couple more times, and that's Melinda Curtis. Mm-hmm. And she writes for the Heartwarming line. She did write for the Super Romance line. She's got some amazing indie stuff out there. And uh, sadly for Melinda, she kind of became my unintended mentor when we met in a local <laughs> writing chapter. That's awesome. And she she kind of adopted me in a way. Uh, and um, and if you ever have the chance to talk to Melinda, you can see why that might be a little odd because uh, she's very, uh, very matter of fact and very, she's very organized and very focused. Um, mm-hmm. And here I come, I'm, I'm going to be a romance novelist. And <laughs> she had just sold to Harlequin when I first met her. So um, we eventually developed a, a critique group with a group of us and when I finally got serious about stuff and I, I, my writing was to the point where I had finaled in the golden heart and all of this happened within the space of like about six months, I think. Um, Melinda came up with the idea of uh, doing an anthology for heartwarming that she had started to write for because she had seen anthologies and other lines do pretty well. Or, and, and I think one of her editors had said, we'd love to do something like that for heartwarming, but we just don't have the time to put it together. And Mel, being Melinda, uh, said, well, I can come up with an idea. And she did. And she emailed me and another uh, author, Anna Adams, and said, Mm -hmm. I've got this idea for heartwarming for a Christmas or an anthology. Let's come up with some ideas. And we came up with the idea of Christmas Actually, which is three siblings. And the inspiration was really Love Actually, where it has like all of the different storylines and then it all ties together in one event at the end of the, of the movie. So that's kind of what Christmas Actually does. And we created Christmas Town, Maine, and she, Melinda pitched it to her editor. Her editor loved the idea and they bought it. And that was my first sale to heartwarming and to Harlequin, which was a dream achieved. And Mm -hmm. I got the news actually, it was pretty close to Christmas the year before it came out that Melinda called and she said, congratulations, you're a heart, you're a Harlequin author. And yeah, I just, I just burst into tears because Mm -hmm. uh, this is where finding your tribe makes all the difference in the world. And I will forever give, um, Melinda so much credit for helping me get get my foot in the door with Harlequin. For anyone who has yet to read a, a Harlequin heartwarming romance, how would you describe it to them? I would describe it as a community and family oriented romances that focuses mm-hmm. primarily on the emotional connection between the hero and the heroine. Um, there's no sex in the heartwarming books. They're very mm-hmm. sweet. Um, you had uh, Dana Grimaldi on uh, a few weeks ago, and I think she uh, defined the define the line really, really well. Um, but for me, it is definitely, it's about the emotional connection yeah. and what I love about, and I am, okay. Admission time. No, nobody will remember this. Um, so when Melinda first started writing for the heartwarming line and she said there was no sex, I'm like, Oh my God, you cannot have a romance novel and not have sex. <laughs> And this is where Karma and I have such an interesting relationship because I've now written 14 heartwarmings. <laughs> I've written yeah. 14 heartwarming books and none of them have sex in it. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you can have. In mm-hmm. fact, you, I personally, um, I'm fine with romances without sex now. I will say there was a time I wouldn't have been. But for me, it made me a better writer because I didn't have this I didn't have the sex scene to play off of I had to dig deep into the character's emotional connections to one another in order to create 
a viable and sustainable happily ever after. So uh, for me, that's really what heartwarming, the gift that heartwarming has given me is it's made me a better writer because it's made me have to get deeper in touch with my characters. Okay. So I have another random question. So I think one thing that's really inspiring so far about what you've said is that you fell in love with the books and, and, Sarah and I chat about this all the time. Like mm-hmm. I think as romance readers, we walk around with story ideas all the time mm-hmm. because you read romance and you're inspired, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that you're a romance writer, but like you seemed pretty like determined I'm going to do this, but you were also aware of like, I don't necessarily know how to do this. And so then it sounds like you're figuring it out, but then you, and you also have this perspective of like, well, this has to be included in the book. And then karma, the way that karma works, it's like, oh, but you're going to be writing these books without it. So can you talk a little bit about just learning the craft and then having that moment where you have to pump the brakes and now do something a little mm-hmm. bit different with the craft than you were expecting you would be doing, you know, and just like, I that's what I love about the heartwarming Sarah and I both is is that emotional journey that you go on you really get that with the character so can you talk a little bit about learning how to write that specifically for those books yeah it all comes down to conflict Mm -hmm. it all comes down to emotional conflict um and that until I understood conflict I was not ready to be a full published author I mean, okay. to me, conflict is the heart of the book, along with emotion. I mean, obviously, emotion is going to be vital for a romance, mm-hmm. especially. But for me, conflict, it's that clash of belief system, which thank you to Mary Buckham for putting it that way, because that was when the light finally clicked for me. So when you have two characters who have a clash of belief system, and I don't mean religious or political beliefs, because that doesn't play a part in any of in any of my books, and I don't think in most any of the Harlequin books, but the clash of um, this is how I live my life, this is how you live your life, we've got to figure out a way to mesh the two lives together, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Um, uh, take my Bride on the Run book, uh, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite books. Uh, I love that it book. It's so much fun to write. But here you've got a runaway bride who comes from an affluent family and literally has no idea where her life is going. And then you've got the hero, Monty, who has just bought a new boat for his uh, tour fleet and he's very settled. He's a, he knows what he wants out of life. He's on a directed path and he meets this woman who has absolutely no path at all. That's conflict. And mm-hmm. that's where the story really gets fun. So, you, and granted in the close quarters of a small boat, like I had them in not having uh, the opportunity to throw them into bed together. I had to find ways to, uh, to dig or dig deep into that conflict between them uh, without dealing with the physical aspect of it. And you know what? It's a challenge and it's actually fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really is because then, then the love scene can happen off the page once the book is over. Um, yeah. And we all know what happens in that. And that's not to say that sex scenes aren't great. Sex scenes are fabulous. I have them in my romantic suspense. But for the heartwarming, it's the close the door and let the imagination of the reader take over. Once the story's mm-hmm. over, that's what happens after you turn the last page. So mm-hmm. um, I've really come to embrace that. Um, it, it, it gets challenging because I have to keep 
digging for new types of conflicts to have between my characters. But really, that's what it came down with for me, is if I strengthen my conflict, then the rest of the story will follow whether or not it has um, uh, intimate scenes between the characters or not. Mm -hmm. So is the conflict something that when you began writing, which we'll get to writing questions in a little bit, but is that one of the first things that you think of when you are starting a new story? Because, I mean, yeah. it is such an important part. Yeah. I mean, when you map out the characters, like, is that one of the first things that you have to figure out? Because, I mean, you said belief system. And one of my favorite things about heartwarming is I love to see the lies the character believes, like, that they've been telling themselves and that they believe uh -huh. about themselves. And I think heartwarming explores that just so magically um and I'm always like is this something that they think of at the beginning or is it just the story's going you already have like this general conflict and then like all these other things these layers for the characters as you like peel them back is that something that mm -hmm. comes as the story goes or well, are you thinking of all that at first um I usually think of the general conflict because um but I don't plot um I I know the general story. I, well, of course, I know where they're going to end up. We all know where they're going to end up happily ever after. Um, mm -hmm. But um, typically with the heartwarmings, especially, um, I don't plot, which could be why I have problems writing at times. Um, <laughs> but uh, definitely for me, especially when I turn in a proposal for, to my editor, I want the conflict to be front and center because I want her to know that it's going to be a job to get these two characters together. And if mm -hmm. your conflict isn't strong enough to do that, the book's going to be over by the second chapter. Yeah. Yeah. So it has, it has to be a strong enough conflict to drive the entire story. And like I said, uh, heartwarming is uh, one of the longer lines. So it has to be a pretty substantial clash between the characters for them to work through their issues and to get to the other side of things. Mm -hmm. um, that said, I do plot out my suspense books mainly be, uh, to a point, not piece by piece, but I have more of a plotting idea when I'm doing the suspense books because I have to plot out the actual suspense part of the story and I have yeah, to know right. what they're facing and then that feeds into the conflict. And also, um, one thing I've started to do when I turn in my um, proposals is that I name what the tropes are for the stories. And a lot of times, and the trope is the uh, type of story that it is. It's like uh, baby on the doorstep or secret marriage or, mm -hmm. you know, fake relationship or enemies to lovers. A lot of those have a built-in conflict right from the get-go. Yeah. So it, yeah. it, it immediately tells my editor, this is the kind of story that it's going to be. And then I have to give her reasons for this is why this conflict this particular trope is going to, uh, how it's going to play out. So okay. that's, that's usually the shortcut for that. Okay. So let's talk romantic suspense. So, yeah. I mean, it sounds kind of obvious, but Harlequin also has its intrigue line as well. So how would you describe the romantic suspense line to anyone that has, has not read it yet? Um, and how did you venture into writing for that series? Um, okay. So romantic suspense was actually, the line I wanted to write for, for Harlequin, mm -hmm. because it was the intimate moments line, which mm -hmm. was the first book that I had read. So, yeah. um, okay. exactly. So they took intimate moments and I forgot when it, I think it's when it switched over to Harlequin cause they were silhouette. Um, and then yep. it shifted to Harlequin and, uh, intimate moments became romantic suspense and 
the intimate moments line was my dream. So it just shifted mm-hmm. to, I wanted to write for romantic suspense, but, um, I, I needed to get some sea legs under me before I felt comfortable, uh, submitting something, even though I did have an idea for a story. Um, I held on to it for a couple of years, getting my, you know, getting my, uh, earning my wings a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but Harlo- the Harlequin romantic suspense line, um, to uh, describe it, um, I call them adrenaline books. Uh, mm-hmm. It's the suspense line that intert- it intertwines uh, danger and life-threatening events uh, with the characters falling in love, but the focus in romantic suspense is the relationship and it is the falling in love part. So as opposed to the intrigue line, which I don't write for, um, actually, I would love to write for the intrigue line. <laughs> that is one of, that is one of my goals. I have it on my goal sheet right now. Um, uh, but the intrigue line, I think, um, focuses more on the mystery and the suspense aspect, where the mm-hmm. romantic suspense focuses more on the relationship aspect. Now, that's not to say that they are not uh, suspenseful by any means. Uh, in fact, the book I have coming out in February is probably the most action-packed one I've written yet, uh, and it's about a prison break, So, um, wow. and it was super fun to write, but... Um, yeah, the suspense line is it's the adrenaline rush and it's a roller coaster. So you get a lot of ups and downs and oh my god, catch your breath and now we can breathe a bit and now mm-hmm. we're going to amp up the excitement again and it's a nice diversion from heartwarming for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the experience like for writing both for heartwarming and romantic suspense at the same time? Like how do you juggle that uh I'm ass- I mean clearly the books are not coming out at the same time, but you know how do you how do you juggle those or decide what story you want to tell next? Well, I have had them come out at the same time, actually. Ooh. Oh twice. gosh. Yeah. Wow. Twice, twice I have had a month where I've had both a heartwarming and a romantic suspense come out That's at the awesome. exact same time. Which actually really is because I don't have to set two months aside for promo. I can do them bang both at the same time. Yeah. And it okay. and it shows off that I'm writing two completely different romance mm-hmm. genres so I particularly like that um but uh, up until recently I've kind of been able to alternate you know I finish mm-hmm. a heartwarming and then I've got a romantic suspense to write and then I go back to heartwarming so it's kind of like I, I get to fill one well and then while well, I'm emptying the other one and then I get mm-hmm. to jump back to the other one um as my deadlines have creeped up on me and I'm trying to catch up, I'm, I'm kind of writing two or three books at one time. Uh, so, um, it's interesting when you get your characters mixed up between a heartwarming and a romantic suspense. (laughs) I'm, I, in fact, I had written an entire chapter recently and realized I had used my heroine from my, (laughs) the last butterfly Harbor book. I'm like, hang on a second that's not right. And it took me a few oh, minutes to <laughs> unintentional crossover. Unintentional. Yeah. Right. But, oh, that could have been good. Um, but at the same time, yeah. So, but like I said, one feeds the other, you know, by the time I get finished writing with a heartwarming, I'm kind of like, okay, I need a little bit more oomph. I need some, mm-hmm. I need some pulse pounding in this one. And by pulse pounding, I mean, I love the, the excitement and the suspense and the, mm-hmm. and the crazy things that happen when you're putting two people in danger and you don't really get to do that with, in the heartwarming line. So yeah. that's where, that's where I really enjoy uh, diving into the suspense after I've written a couple of heartwarmings, but then I'm ready to get back to the emotional connection between the two characters and, yeah. and leave the sex for the romantic suspense for the next one. It would be so much fun to see a romantic suspense set in Butterfly Harbor, like, you know. 
<laughs> I have, like a I, have played, I have played with that idea, believe it or not. I actually have an idea for that, and I don't know if I will ever present it, but there there is an idea in the back of my head where it would be a romantic suspense set in Butterfly Harbor, but for the romantic suspense line. I would, oh, yeah. love, it. I would I love, love to do that. <laughs> We'd love to see it. <laughs> so you also have titles that appear to be independently published. I never really know sometimes if it means it's yeah. independently published or not. I'm always messaging Sarah like, I can't tell, but yeah. it appears. As- so can you talk a bit about your experience with indie publishing? And for anyone that's listening who may be interested in going that route with their writing, is there any advice that you would give? The only advice I would give on indie publishing is know what you're getting into. Okay. Uh, indie publishing, everything is on you. Everything. And I'm not just talking about the promo, which the promo is going to be on you no matter how you publish. Uh, mm-hmm. That's just a given. I do the same amount of public, uh, promo I do for my heartwarming or my Harlequin stuff as I do for uh, indie stuff. And I honestly, I don't promote my indie stuff very much. The stuff that I have published for indie right now, it's the Christmas Town anthologies that we've done as follow-ups from Christmas Actually. And mm-hmm. God bless her, Melinda Curtis leads the charge on that every time. And I just say, tell me what you need me to do. And uh, I do it. And she knows what my limitations are, which are great. Um, which is great. I shouldn't say my limitations are great, but. Um, that she knows you. Yeah, she does. Yeah. And that's really comes in handy. Um, the other books I published are the three books I originally sold to Berkeley and I got the rights back when they weren't selling and I republished them just because those, that first book, which I, uh, renamed the original back to the original title, which is Nemesis in the Night. That's the book of my heart. That, that Mm -hmm. was the first book I ever wrote. It's the first book that ever made me cry from the books that I wrote. Um, and it's, it's still one of my favorites to this day. So, um, that said, I am not built for indie publishing. Mm -hmm. I am, (laughs) this is going to sound weird. I am way too lazy to be an indie author. Those, I think that's fair. Cause that would, I I feel like that would be me. (laughs) Those, they work their butts off and I have some friends who have just done amazingly well with indie and I do not know how they do it I wouldn't be able to sleep thinking of Mm -hmm. all the stuff that I would have to do for that and they're churning out new material on top of it Mm -hmm. and I'm like I just want to write the book I just want to send it to my editor I want (laughs) to tell me what's wrong with it let them choose the cover it's all about control with indie Mm -hmm. If you're a person who needs to have control over the cover, over, you know, even even the editing, even though mm-hmm. you should be hiring an editor, uh, if you need to be in control of every aspect of your book, the indie route is probably for you. I do not need to be. I want to write the story, send it off, tell have somebody tell me how to fix it, have somebody else write the blurb, have them choose the cover. Harlequin knows what they do with their covers. They know yep. what they're doing with their titles. It's all built in. And that's the deal I made when I signed with them. And I am perfectly happy letting them do all of that. And mm-hmm. for the most part, I have been exceedingly happy with what they've done. I can't do indie. It's just not me. You know, maybe someday down the road with the paranormal stuff. And I did publish a couple of uh, paranormal stuff that I previously published in magazines. But um, it's, yeah, it's, God, it's a heck of a lot of work and mm-hmm. kudos to everybody who does it and does it well, because mm-hmm. it ain't easy. One of the things that, again, that you touched on that I now want to ask about. So 
I think we might have asked this once upon a time, but we haven't really heard many authors speak about it. So can you talk a little bit about that decision? Okay, I want the rights back to these books. And what does that process look like? I was really lucky that. (laughs) So at the time when I was published with them, with uh, Berkeley, and I had a great experience with them. It's just that my editor who bought me left shortly after. So there wasn't really anybody there invested in my career, which is fine. Mm -hmm. You know, it was very on the up and up. I think I went through three or four editors after she left Mm -hmm. uh, to get the rest of the contract filled out. The books didn't sell. And I, it was a digital first line. Um, I was new to, I mean, even though I had been educating myself about publishing, I was new as a published author. So I didn't have any pull with anything. I did have a really good agent at the time. She's no longer agenting. Uh, but, um, when the, I was able to access my sales data with that publisher and in my contract, it had a certain number. If this book does not sell a certain number within a certain time frame you, uh, I had the right to request the books back. So I had it marked down on the calendar for when I could ask for those rights back if the sales didn't go above a certain number and they Mm -hmm. didn't. And the day I knew, I emailed my editor who was, or my agent who was no longer the agent at the time, but she uh, stepped up and did it anyway. I said, I want my rights back. And she uh, shot them off an email. And I think I had the rights back to those books within a week. Wow. Yeah. So I was very, very, very lucky. Um, Mm -hmm. And also it helped that they weren't taking that line in a direction that these books would fit. So uh, Mm. it just wasn't, it just wasn't a fit anymore. And I wasn't just going to let them languish there because they weren't doing anything to promote the books, which was completely in their rights. And I wasn't doing anything to promote the books, mainly because I wanted the rights back. And um now that mm-hmm. I got the rights back, I was able to give it the title that I want, and I wanted to market it in a way. They had marketed it as contemporary romance. Well, all three of those books have a suspense element. It's light suspense, but they're mm-hmm. about con artists and art forgers, and uh, you know, I've got a, a Robin Hood type character who's stealing, uh, who's stealing from rich people to donate money to a charity. So, I mean, I have a whole lot of suspense and mystery elements going on in those books, and that wasn't the way they were marketed. So this put them back in my control so that I could rename them and push them in the direction that I thought that they should go. Um, they still don't do very well, unfortunately, but that's because I don't, I don't push them, you know? So, um, and I don't have time to, hence yeah. the whole, I'm not meant to be an indie author. <laughs> that's so interesting because for us as readers, I mean, outside of Harlequin, like with Harlequin, we know, or any category, we know what we're going to get when we pick up the mm-hmm. books, but I gripe a lot about Mm -hmm. books that are marketed because we'll get pitched stuff like, hey, we want to send this to you, you Mm -hmm. know, for, you know, for Sarah, her YouTube or for me with Instagram. And then we get the book and it's like, oh, it's this rom-com. And then we read it and we're like, no, that's not Mm. what this is. No, right. And I I, I often wonder, I'm like, does the author get any input on the way Mm -hmm. that this is, their book is marketed? No. Not well, oh. it depends. It depends, honestly. Um, yeah. I recently um, signed with a small press publisher to do a new uh, romantic suspense series that will be coming out next next year, next fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a uh, Hollywood murder mystery. I call it LA Confidential mm-hmm. meets Women's Murder Club. 
Oh my gosh. Yes, and, we need yeah. a good. <laughs> <laughs> and I am so excited about writing this because I won't I won't be under the conf- constraints that I have with Harlequin, mm-hmm. you know, as far as um I tend to write a little rougher naturally than Harlequin would be happy with. Mm-hmm. So, um I like language. I'm I, you know, 12 years of Catholic school, I know how to swear. Um, so it was, that was the one thing I did excel at. I didn't need a Scantron sheet for that, but, um, the, um, the small press that I'm going to be working with, he's already reached out. The publisher has already reached out to me and goes, okay, I want every idea you've got for marketing. He says, we want to make sure that these books get seen. I want you in on the process. He's let me choose my own cover designer which wow. I am thrilled with because I absolutely love the designer I'm using. And um, I mean, he's, he's been very, very open. And, but I think that's the benefit of a small publisher, right? Mm-hmm. Because uh, everybody's kind of more on equal footing with a smaller publisher. And with Harlequin, it is such a massive machine. It takes a lot to ha- to stand out. Uh, mm-hmm. And hopefully as you build up your title list, that's how you start to get, mm-hmm. how you start to get seen uh, within, within the publisher. So um, yeah, it's, it's, the whole business is very, very interesting, but no, as far as the ones that I published with Berkeley, unfortunately, no, I had no say. And you know that mm-hmm. because of what the original covers were, they gave me front porch covers with animals. Oh no. What? And there, it doesn't and there, even and sound because, like the book you described. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, all art forger and con artist books have front porches and look like <laughs> right. Sunday morning. <laughs> Sarah's on like our, she's my romantic suspense guru here. So I'm yeah. like, I can just imagine her like, no. <laughs> yeah. No, no. And the covers that, um, the covers that they have now are far better reflective of what the stories actually are, but I had absolutely no say. And I will also say that they did all three covers at the same time they did those covers before I even wrote the second or the third books so in 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 all fairness they didn't know what they were going to be getting I didn't know what I was going to be writing and they weren't going to change it once they got it but those covers they were great covers but not for my books yeah and (laughs) I had (laughs) and I had no say for it none um, one thing for us as readers that appear uh, like it would be difficult to pull off when writing romantic suspense is balancing the romance and the suspense. How, mm. as a writer, are you able to find the balance between the two? I don't always. That's why I have an editor. <laughs> I don't always. Oh, Honestly, well, <laughs> it kind of it depends on the story. I think. I think it depends on the book. I just turned in a book. Oh, Lord, this is going to be in perpetuity. I am not happy with this book because I don't think I balanced it out right. I think I have too much of the relationship and not enough of the suspense. I am hoping I am wrong because I don't want to rewrite it, but I will Mm -hmm. not be surprised if I'm right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fortunately for me and the other suspense books that I've written, um, it's all kind of balanced out. Um, in my, uh, in the first romantic suspense I released, which was called more than a Lawman, which is my favorite romantic suspense I've written <laughs> because it starts off with her chained up in a meat locker. Mm-hmm. And when I start a book like that, there's really no wrong way for it to go. Yeah. Because I mean, I mean chained up in a meat locker. She is chained <laughs> up, <laughs> she's been left for dead and is chained up in a meat locker. And, um, it's just. It was glorious. It's it's still the favorite opening I've ever written to any book ever. So, um, but it it if the story is right, it it kind of works itself out, and I think that 
might be coming from my non-plotter brain. Mm -hmm. Um, So far, there hasn't been a lot where I've had to go back and up the relationship part or up the suspense part but I think that might be coming to an end with the (laughs) with the book that's coming out next um ironically enough I think it's coming out at the same time as my single title suspense so that'll be interesting to see if that happens (laughs) but um I think also because I love those characters so much in in the forthcoming book the one I'm worried about and they had been in previous books in the series that I just wanted everybody to be happy and mm-hmm. you can't really do that with a romantic suspense. Yeah. So I think I got a little too caught up in the character and didn't balance it out with the suspense. But like I said, I could be wrong. I don't think I am, but I could be. Well, let's chat your current heartwarming series, the Butterfly Harbor series, which we love. Yeah. It currently has 10 books in it with the 11th scheduled to release in January mm-hmm. was butterfly Harbor inspired by somewhere you've lived or visited or was it totally made up? It just feels like such a real place. So we had oh, to know. Thank you. And like a place I want to go to. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can, you can go there. Uh, it's inspired by the Monterey area and, okay. uh, and Pacific Grove in particular, which Pacific Grove is about maybe five, 10 minutes Oh, don't ask me north, south, east, or west. It's 10 minutes away from Monterey. Um, I'm directionally challenged as well, so don't ask me on a scantron. Um, but um, it's totally uh, inspired by Pacific Grove, and uh, okay. which is on the monarch butterfly migration pattern. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is actually a butterfly sanctuary there, uh, which uh, was the spinoff. And when... Um, uh, right after I sold Christmas, actually, I knew I was going to need a proposal if I wanted to keep my foot in the door at heartwarming. Mm-hmm. And I was, I don't even remember where I was when I had the idea, but I looked up in a picture of my grandmother over my desk and she had always loved butterflies. And I went, butterflies, butterflies, butterfly harbor. Oh, that could be something. And that's kind of where it took off. And living like three hours away from Monterey, you know, I called up a couple of my girlfriends and I said, hey, let's do a girl's trip. So uh, it also became a tax write-off, which is great. Um, So we went down and we went to the Butterfly Sanctuary and we went to the, there's actually a a natural history, it's kind of a natural history museum, but it's, it's, it's primarily about butterflies there in Monterey uh, or in Pacific Grove rather. And um, yeah, so it was totally inspired by that. Um, And it, it just, it just happened to work out and using the butterfly Mm -hmm. as the, as the continuing branding for it has really helped. And it's, uh, it reminds me every time I start a new book is okay, grandma, let's do this again. Yeah. So that's sweet. Yeah. I love it. But now I have to write the last book in the series and it's a little bit bittersweet, but Mm -hmm. who knows? (laughs) Well, when you were writing the first book in the series, did you plan that it was going to have like 11 books or was that just purely by chance? Uh, When I first came up with the idea, I had come up with ideas for eight stories. I'm incapable, I think, of doing a one-off. (laughs) Um, I always write characters or I always write stories about character and sorry, community and uh, friendships and um, a lot. In fact, almost all of 
no, all of my books have always had a, it's the family you create, not necessarily the family you're born to. And that's, that is a primal theme, especially in the Butterfly Harbor books. It isn't just a town. That town is a family. Everybody knows each other. Everybody gets along. The only person who doesn't get along with everybody is the mayor, and he's the book I'm writing now. (laughs) So it's a definite atonement book. Um, But it's, um, yeah, I always write interconnected stories because those are the books I love to read. Mm -hmm. I like to read the second book mainly because I want to see where the first couple is you know and I that and I draw all of my couples through all of my books um you always see a a two or three different uh couples from previous books in each of my books uh in the final butterfly harbor book you will see all of the couples there will be a scene with all of them and I've got my I've got a actually a spreadsheet with everybody I've got to check off as far as who the interaction uh plays off of but um yeah I always whenever I I'm I'm never just writing or proposing one book it's always Mm -hmm. a collection of them because I'm going to be building a family or I'm going to be writing about a family whether or not they're connected by blood or whether or not they're just Mm -hmm. connected by love so building a surprise family is the most recent release in the series and is the romance between joe and ozzy ozzy is a character who he's really transformed himself throughout the series he went from a computer tech to a sheriff's deputy to now a firefighter and he's like one of the hottest eligible (laughs) bachelors so what inspired the choice to have ozzy's character make these transformations was that planned or like what inspired that it was because i knew he was going to be one of the eight originally uh the other four characters materialized as i was writing other stories but um he was inspired by the character of ferg in longmire um (laughs) okay so if anybody has seen longmire out there it's a modern day western uh it's based on a series of books and i cannot remember the guy who wrote them Oh, stupid brain. But it's one of my favorite TV series ever. I mean, it's just, it's a full arc series and it takes place in, oh God, Wyoming. Clearly I have to watch it again. Um, Katie Sackhoff is in it. And there was a sheriff's deputy named Ferg, who's this chubby, lovable deputy, a little bit bumbly and he's trying so so hard and he's really good at his job it's just he's not really given being given the right chance and that's kind of how I envisioned Ozzy when he first showed up in uh, Bad Boy of Butterfly Harbor which was the first book so by the time I got to his story I purposely seeded in different things that were happening in his life Mm -hmm. Uh, and there was an event in the third book that was kind of his aha moment that he needed to make some changes in his life. And also I found it really interesting to explore the idea of a hero who had dealt with weight issues all of his life and was still dealing with them. And he is in his books, in his book, because he's kind of living a different life than the one he'd been living previously. Um, And I wanted to explore that from the male perspective. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what Ozzy becomes in my book is kind of, where I would have liked to have seen Ferg go. That's not to say he was not great as he was uh, with the weight issues, uh, because I think that was part of the endearing quality of Ferg. And he did end up with a happily ever after at the at the end of Longmire, which just made me so happy. And I'm like, yeah, now I'm gonna now I'm gonna give him a different happily ever after. But um, that was what the inspiration was for that character. 
Uh, Joe is a surprise to the townspeople of Butterfly Harbor when she arrives as the new construction supervisor. She is not a he, is driving a pickup truck with her tiny house in tow, and five months pregnant and single. Was there anything about Joe's character you hoped would resonate with readers? Um, it's funny because I think I was more concerned that I had made her too independent. Okay. And that she might come off as, I don't know, harsh or um, just a little too good to be true. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I was more concerned about that than I was thinking about what I wanted to resonate with readers. But I think when by the time I finished the book, what I hoped readers would come away from was that um, we need to be reminded that it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. And then it's okay to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the town I've created of Butterfly Harbor, it's definitely okay to ask for help because there's mm-hmm. always going to be somebody there to break or fall. Always. Whether or not it was going to be Ozzy or her friend Leah who brought her to the town or uh, for the job or the new friends that she makes. Everywhere she turns around, there's going to be somebody to help. And I think that's that's really what I love about the Butterfly Harbor books is that it's it's always going to be a safe place. Mm-hmm. always going to yeah. be a safe place. And that's what Joe needed to discover. So I, I, I hope that's what people come away with from the book is that somewhere out there, there is a safe place for you. So let's talk a little bit about writing small town romances. What do you enjoy about it? Are there any challenges that you find mm-hmm. with writing them? I mean, we love reading them. My mom, every time we finish one, we're like, how did they create this spin on Mm -hmm. you know something that you read so much of um so can you talk a little bit about writing small town romances I can yeah once again it's one thing I never thought I'd be doing (laughs) but um it's you know it's funny there's a lot of parallel between writing paranormal romance and writing small town romance because you're creating a world uh the small town romance obviously just doesn't have magic and you know supernatural treasure hunters but it it has the same you're creating a community uh, whichever genre you're writing in uh so really for me it's 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 part of the fun is creating this new this new place that exists uh where you get to build it you get to decide what businesses go there who owns mm-hmm. what who's interacting with what's what's the gossip here um you know does it have a pub is it a dry town uh does i put a comic book store in butterfly harbor we've never been into it but there is one mm-hmm. uh you know i've got the cat's eye bookstore because no town is complete without a bookstore mm-hmm. um i ended up adding a bakery and all of that kind of stuff so the trick is keeping track of it all, which I did not do as well as I should have. Um, And by the time I got to book 10, it's kind of like, I wish I had a Bible. Well, I didn't create one. So I'm actually working on a way to um, do that for whatever next series I might, I might write. But um, yeah, keeping track of the details is probably the most difficult thing because if you put a place in a certain, on a certain street or on a certain corner, you want to make sure that you pull that through if you use that place again in another mm-hmm. story, because readers are going to catch it. Readers catch the errors far more, <laughs> I think, than the editors do, because uh, the editors are reading, you know, 20, 30 books a month, and readers are very attentive to all of those <laughs> little details. So, um, no, writing small town, I love it because I get to build that sense of community, and it feeds into my whole thing about the creating the family that you need to survive Mm -hmm. this crazy life. 
and they're nice and also they're nice places to live you know small it's towns yeah. are nice places to live which it's makes true. them fun to write about so let's talk some writing questions are you an early bird or a night owl what time of day do you feel most productive with writing mm, i am an early bird Mm-hmm. I'm usually at the computer by about 8.30 or 9, and I write until about noon. And then sometimes I'll write some more in the afternoon, but I need to get it out of the way in the morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and also, I'm usually in bed by 9 o'clock at night, so mm. I am the least exciting author you will ever hear about. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm usually writing between between 8 a.m. and noon, and that's it. Okay, I think you mentioned this earlier, but are you a plotter or a pantser? I have come to the conclusion I'm a planter. Okay. <laughs> so can you talk a little sure. bit about figuring out which one that you are? Was it like trial and error as time goes by? How did you come to that this conclusion? Like this is me. Sure. Okay. So my theory on plotting is if I have written out a detailed outline of the book, I've already written the story and now I'm bored. Okay. <laughs> Which means, okay, yeah, which is going to show in the writing, right? So, because um, you can always tell when a writer is going through something or when they're bored or whatever, it ends up on the page. Whether they think it does or not, it ends up on the page. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, if I go in, usually what I go into with the story is I know what the characters are. I know what their main conflict is between each other. I know a little bit about their background and I know what the main story is going to be. Other than that, that's about all I know. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I plot more with the, with the suspense books because there's that thread of element or that thread of, um, mystery and intrigue that I have to thread through. Um, mm-hmm. but typically what I do for that is I plot backwards. I know where okay. it's going to end up. And then I look for interesting ways moving backwards that I can work that into the story. And that really worked well with the paranormal stuff that I wrote. Um, that nobody's read. Um, <laughs> but, um, I found that that tends to work pretty well with my, with my suspense books as well, but the, none of the Butterfly Harbor books were plotted out other than what was in the general synopsis that I sent to my editor, which I have to send her in order to sell the books. But most of those books went off the rails when I started to write. And I'm like, yeah, we're not going in that direction. We're going over here. And so far I haven't gotten the blowback on it, which is good. But um, yeah, for me, the creative process is just more visceral and, uh, it's easier to get through the process when I'm not plotting out every single detail. And because I have been surprised more often by not plotting that makes for a really good twist in the story that if I had stuck to the plotted outline, it would have just been predictable and boring when Mm -hmm. I'm in the moment and I'm writing it, I can come up with some case in point. So my honor bound series, the first three books are kind of, they they're all part of one story. It's the unsolved murder of their childhood friend. And the three women have grown up. It's 20 years later. The murder is still unsolved. And I knew at the end of the third book, they were going to solve the murder. While I was writing books one and book two, I knew who the murderer was. I should say, I thought I knew who the murderer was. And then I started (laughs) book three and I went, oh, crap. 
I don't know who the killer is because if I stick with this idea, it would be so predictable and readers are going to know who it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if I know who it is, the reader's going to know who it is. And I learned that from another friend of mine, um, Alison Brennan, who writes amazing thrillers. Mm -hmm. Um, She never knows who the killer is when she writes because if she knows, she honestly believe she's going to give it away somewhere in the story. And I've always kind of kept that in my head. Mm -hmm. So by the time I got to the end of the third book and I flipped it and I made the killer, somebody completely different and some complete, I was so proud of myself at the end of that (laughs) third book. I said, nobody is going to figure out that this is who it was. And I was right. I, well, of course now everybody's going to come. I knew who it was, but (laughs) which wouldn't surprise me, but the the fact that I was able to take it from a very predictable way into something that I felt was completely unpredictable and surprising. If I had been reading that book, I would have been so happy because mm-hmm. if I know who, typically I figure out who it is within the first, you know, the first couple of chapters and I'm a nightmare to watch TV mysteries with seriously. <laughs> it's like, especially if they put up, you know, it's stunt casting. If you've got a big name guest star, guess who the killer is going to be? Gee, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I drive my mother nuts because I'm like, oh, he did it or, oh, she did it. And then at the end of the thing, she just gives me that look at the end. She's mm-hmm. you're not, like you're you not ruined fun. it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks yeah. for that. So I never, I never want to do that in one of my books. I never want to make it predictable. Mm-hmm. Plotting for me makes it predictable. If it's a project you've been working on, do you reread over the previous day's work before beginning? I try not to, um, mainly because it's a time suck. Mm -hmm. And I know I really only have that block of time set aside to get my word count. Um, That said, yeah, I do. Uh, Mainly because that's the easiest way to drop me black into the story, especially Mm -hmm. since I don't plot. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's a way to pick up. Stephen King always said you should leave it in the middle of a sentence when you stop for the day. Yeah, I've tried that and I have no idea what I've been writing. (laughs) I get to that sentence and I'm like, what, where, what the (laughs) heck was that? So, yeah, that doesn't work. (laughs) Are there any necessities you need around you while you're writing? Uh, Not really. Um, I have my bottle of water and I maybe have a cup of tea. I don't eat while I write. Um, I know a lot of people snack when they write, or especially when they're in deadline mode or edits. I'm like, I can't do that Um, because either I would just be eating or I would just be writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have, I have a, a collection of music. It's one CD and I, it's all I've listened to for probably going on 10 years now when I write and it's just the same music and it's instrumental music interspersed with ocean waves, oh, uh, oh. because water and ocean and mm-hmm. tidal waves that drops me into my writing zone so fast that it's 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 become now where I have to be listening to that if I'm if I if I want to be really productive that's what I have to plug into so as long as I have at least water and the cd I'm good to go do you set daily writing goals uh do you have any advice for anyone unsure of how to figure out what their daily daily writing goals should be I do set goals and I rarely meet them (laughs) um I actually have a calendar where I I I'm supposed to write down what my daily writing goal is and um (laughs) Yeah. I am Dory on speed. I can be, (laughs) I can be distracted by a piece of fluff in the air. I do not. And I don't know if I should be tested for ADHD or something. I don't know, but it's, it's like, I am so easily distracted. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, 
at my best, if I can get 10 pages a day, which is uh, usually about 2.5 thousand words, mm -hmm. if I can get 10 pages a day, I am more than happy. If I, uh, at my peak, when I was doing really, really well, and this would be pre-COVID times, uh, I was averaging about 20, 25 pages a day, which is when I can crank out a book, you know, in, mm -hmm. you know, in a month or six weeks, uh, those days seem to be gone. So uh, I aim for 10. If I get five, I'm happy. 10 makes me, makes me feel as if I've actually accomplished something. Now, as far as giving advice, I am never going to be the person who can give advice on this kind of stuff, mainly because um, no two authors have the same process. Mm -hmm. And yeah. one author's process is not going to write for another author's process. Nobody could write the way that I write because it's it drives me nuts. I can't even imagine somebody else trying it. So <laughs> I finally learned after taking umpteen workshops and reading so many books mm -hmm. on process and you should do this and you should do that. No, the only should you should be doing is what works for you. And the mm -hmm. only way you find out what works for you is to do it. So my advice would be to take bits and pieces, try different things from other authors and see if they work for you, toss them the instant you know they do not, and then just really drill down to what does work for you. Mm -hmm. And as many authors as there are out there, that is as many ways as there are to write a book. And I always tell that to people. I said, you cannot judge how you're writing by how somebody else is writing. It's just not realistic and it's not fair to you. Um, there's a reason Nora Roberts has written as many books as she's written is mm -hmm. because her process would kill a normal human. There's, <laughs> I mean, nobody, she can keep up that pace, but that's because she's got the mindset to do that. And she's been mm -hmm. doing it for a really long time. Uh, so my advice would be to really work on discovering what your own process is, embrace that and find the best way to exploit that and make it work. But don't base yourself on any, what anybody else is doing. It'll just lead to disappointment. You log into your computer to write for the day. Are there specific programs that you use for your writing? I write on Word 2007. <laughs> wow. Okay. I am so old school. My laptop is so old. I mean, seriously. I mean, it sounds like I'm setting myself up for a joke, but it does not have virus protection, so I do not take it online. <laughs> uh, I do that purposely. Um, in fact, I'm having trouble because I have a second laptop in my writing area now and I have to actually unplug that laptop and take it in and store it in my mother's room while I'm writing and put my phone in the other end of the house so I'm not distracted. I mean, mm -hmm. I do not understand how I can spend an hour and a half scrolling through Facebook and Twitter and only come out stupider and have lost more <laughs> time to create words. So I need as few um, distractions as I can. So yeah, I just write on Word document. In fact, I just turned in a novella. I'm so bad at the technical aspects of this. It's pathetic. But um, we're putting together a new Christmas Town anthology. And uh, the cover reveal will be coming this week, I think, which is absolutely adorable. It's really cute idea that we've come up with. And uh, I had to turn in the novella and uh, Melinda was doing the pre-formatting for it. And she goes, you've indented every paragraph. 
<laughs> and I'm like, I don't know what that means. She's all, well, and she gives me, you know, she tells me how to fix it. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what that means. I, and I, it makes me cringe when I think about when my editor and copy edits get my manuscripts because they're all like, oh God, it's the one who indents all her paragraphs. And like, <laughs> so if anybody has any advice on that, you can email me at Anna at authorannastuart.com and tell me what the heck that means and how I could possibly fix it to make it easier on the people who have to edit my books. But yeah, I am so old school. Seriously, I'd be happy writing on a typewriter. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's all. I just word. 2007 please harlequin never change because that's what they want and i'm happy with it (laughs) so you already talked a bit about uh you know kind of as a writer doing your own thing but are there any writing craft books or courses that you would recommend yeah actually um uh and excuse us for turning into the melinda curtis commercial but she has a she has a great uh well first of all she gives a great workshop on conflict so if anybody ever has uh problems with figuring out conflict or defining conflict find one of her classes and take it because Mm -hmm. and she gives it, it um kind of all over the internet and i think she's even setting something up uh currently where you can just go straight to it but her conflict between Mary Buckham and Melinda, she's the reason I finally understood conflict. And for me, that was locking everything else. That locked everything else into place once conflict was finally clear. Um, and her book is uh, Creating Unforgettable Characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's great. And, it, and if you're at all interested in psychology, too, it dives a lot into psychology and emotional wounds and uh, just digging deep into characters and what creates conflict within people. Uh, within people and between people so it's it's a really good one um there's also oh my god this this the Saurus ser- uh, series that becca Puglusi and angela ackerman uh come up with is the emotional wound thesaurus and the occupation thesaurus and i think what is it the positive trait negative trait urban and rural and i just got an email today that oh my god the heavens opened up and sang they're coming out with the conflict thesaurus (laughs) so i'm like and you can't pre-order it and i'm just like okay so i put up a sticky note i've got to figure out when i can get that book because their stuff is just it's just such a great leap off Mm -hmm. for story creation and character creation that i don't know where they came up with this idea but i'm glad that they did and then also if people are interested in writing category romance uh, author Amy Lane, who writes, uh, she writes Mail Mail, actually, and she is with, she's with the small press, I can't remember who she's with, but she wrote a book called, okay, I'm gonna, it's called Crafting Category Romance, mm-hmm. and in it, she kind of dissects tropes and shortcuts and um, how to write effectively short or I should say mm-hmm. how to write short effectively. Again, this is why I have an editor. Um, it's it's just a good uh, collection of uh, chapters that can really, that really digs deep into what category romance is and, and how you can uh, craft effective ones using tropes and expectations and how to defy those expectations. So, um, and then the last thing I would recommend and, Damn you, Melinda, for doing this to me. But she had recommended a class by Sarah Cannon, and it's called Heart Breathings 90. And I, 
she first told me about it and I'm like, what the heck is this? Cause Melinda is a very organized person and she can, she schedules everything in her life. She has to, cause she has a very hectic life and she still turns out a lot of books. Um, but Sarah Cannon has created this uh, program and it's really how to manage your time mm. and it's how to set goals and it's how to break those goals down into tasks. And then you create this board where you put up all of these tasks so that you can, instead of floundering and saying, oh, I've got all this stuff I have to do. She actually has you writing it down and breaking it down into smaller jobs so that you can actually accomplish those tasks and mark them off your list. And she does it in three month blocks. So you're only focusing on the three months that you have in front of you. You're not thinking about the stuff you have to do six months and nine months from now. You're only looking at the stuff you, so I broke down and I took the class and hands down, it is the single best investment I have made in my career in probably since I got published. Um, It's, it was life-changing for me. And it was really what kind of opened the door to the words coming back is because I was able to offload a lot of stuff that I have no business worrying about now when I have enough just in front of me. So that was the HB 90 course. And I highly recommend it's not a, it's not a cheap course, but um, it's a course that you have access to for its lifetime. You pay once and you can go back and take the class again and she updates it and you even end up with a planner and I have now become a a day planner person, (laughs) which I never thought I would be. So as far as keeping me focused and keeping the words going, that's, that's really, it's just been incredible. Now she's on YouTube. She is. Her channel is amazing. It is. It is. I'm I'm just like, I am in awe. I do not know how she does what she does, but, um, you know, and now I have a washi tape, uh, collection and (laughs) okay. That's how I found her. I was like really into journaling videos and she is like this notebook guru. Mm -hmm. So, wow. That's, that's so fascinating. Yeah. And it gives me an, yeah. And it gives me an excuse to buy as many pens as I need to. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's do some round out questions. Okay. What is one book you wish you could read again for the first time? Okay, I bet everybody who knows me and listening is going to think I'm going to say a Nora Roberts book, but I'm not. I was just going to say, nope. is it a Nora Roberts? No, and uh, in fact, I am going to totally surprise you. It's The Watchers by Dean Koontz. Ooh. Hands down. It's in my top 10 books of all times. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has everything in that book. It, I mean... It's got romance. It's got a little bit of science fiction. It's got suspense. It's got a paranormal element and it's got a dog named Einstein. And (laughs) it has, those are the kind, that's, that is my ultimate goal to Mm -hmm. write something that perfect Mm -hmm. because it literally has everything in it that I love. I call them kitchen sink books, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's just, and I don't know how he, did it and that book is is quite old mm-hmm. but it's still it holds up and I need to reread it again because it's just fabulous but if I wish I could experience that book again that's one of the books where I bought it in paperback and then I found it in hardcover and then I bought it on audio and I've listened to it on uh on audible since so every mm-hmm. time it gets a new incarnation I'm buying it and listening mm-hmm. to it again it's just it's just fabulous mm-hmm. who was your teenage celebrity crush uh, teenage celebrity crush that has continued to this day. It's John Bon Jovi. 
Excellent choice. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. yeah. Excellent uh, choice. <laughs> in my locker when I was freshman, I mean, God, when I first heard Runaway, it was kind of like, that was it. Um <laughs> The count. I'm in love. Yeah. Well, and you know what's great is he's an awesome human being. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. that. And I think actually that is what I find more appealing the older I get. It's not that he was just absolutely beautiful with killer hair mm-hmm. um, when I was a teenager. But now looking at the type of human being he is, which I think is the type of human being he's always been, it's just... Yeah, I picked a good teenage crush that has followed mm-hmm. me through to this day. Name one film you'll never stop watching. Oh, I'm such a movie junkie. This is like picking a favorite child. Um, <laughs> you know what? Okay, so I'll approach this as if I only had one movie I could watch for mm-hmm. the rest of my life, it would probably be uh, The Robin Hood with Errol Flynn. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, the Adventures okay. of Robin Hood, 1939, I think. Um but it was the first movie I ever bought on VHS, um, and I I had to buy it a couple of times because I wore it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a romance, mm-hmm. and it's a romance with a spunky heroine ahead of her time. I mean, Maid Marian wasn't taking any crap from anybody in that movie, mm-hmm. and that was not unless you were Catherine Hepburn. That wasn't happening in film. So, yeah. um, mm-hmm. and that was what robin hood loved about her in that Mm -hmm. and i've seen most all the other robin hoods and yeah whatever there is no other robin hood for me errol Errol flynn was it and that movie (laughs) is just fabulous and it's beautiful to watch i mean it's a gorgeous Mm. looking movie what is one hill you will wholeheartedly die on okay (laughs) um okay so i'm i kind of have two okay go ahead uh the first one is if it does not have a happily ever after or a happily for now, it is it's not, not a, romance. a romance. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yep. Okay. Clearly, I spend too much time on Twitter. Mm. Second, we're, we're with you on that hill. Okay. We're right? With you. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Secondly, romance novels heal. You know, yeah. uh, they provide mm-hmm. an escape. Mm-hmm. Um, and they provide that escape because we know what we're going to get at the end. And there's nothing spoilery about there being, there's nothing schmaltzy or comic about it. You know, you're going to get the happily ever after, but you don't know how you're going to get there. And Mm -hmm. that's what the romance novel does. It takes you on hopefully an unexpected and twisty, windy road to the happily ever after that, you know, is waiting. You're not going to be disappointed. You're not going to be devastated. Um, You're going to, turn that final page and know that for these characters everything is going to be okay and Mm -hmm. for a second that's going to seep into your own life and everything's going to be okay Mm -hmm. and that is what romance is all about and I think Mm -hmm. going back to when I read that first book that's what I got when I closed that book was that wow that was an awesome ride and that's what I want to do with every single book that I write yeah I I think that's probably my favorite thing about romance regardless of what subgenre or author mm-hmm. or trope whatever it is it's like at the end of you see these characters going through whatever they're going through but there's that promise that at the end everything is going to be yep. okay and I'm like how can you how can anyone discount what that is doing yeah. like everybody I, just wants to know 
that regardless of, you know, I've been stuck in the house for a year with my kids and we're driving me each other nuts at the end of the day, everything is going to be okay. And that is what it stands for. It's like, how can anybody discredit that? Exactly. And you know what always irritates me, you know, and we go through this a couple of times every year is that where romance novels just get bashed. Mm -hmm. And you know what? There's a reason certain movies in Hollywood are successful. There's a reason why Peter Jackson amped up the Aragorn and Arwen story in Lord of the Rings Mm -hmm. is because he understood the importance of that romance. Mm -hmm. He was also trying to bring in female viewers, uh, (laughs) which worked exceedingly. And there's a reason why uh, A. Owen's story, oh God, I haven't watched those movies in so long. I should remember the names. I never read the books. But um, there's a reason why certain directors amp up the romance. You know, Mm -hmm. you look at the Fast and the Furious movies, they got romance in there, people. Oh, big time. Big time. Mm -hmm. But it totally gets When Michelle Rodriguez was gone, I was like, I'm not, I don't think I would have watched this anymore. (laughs) Exactly. And you think about, you know, the Paul Walker character with Mm. his wife and it's so bittersweet to watch it now because you know that he's gone. But at the same Mm -hmm. time, you know that in the movie world, they're still happily ever after. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Even though he's gone. I was listening to something recently and I think it said like women account for 51% of moviegoers. And I'm like, so we're actually going to the movies more. So you need to speak to us. That's right. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, I think that's one reason why Bridgerton has been so, so successful is because this is kind of what we've been thirsting for the whole time. And thank God to the casting directors for giving us that hero. Oh, my God, I do not know where he, oh, Lord, love a (laughs) duck. gorgeous. (laughs) But it finally feels as if, you know, there's kind of been that, that that turn and you mm-hmm. know i even look at the marvel movies you know i'm i love the marvel movies i tolerate the dc movies but i love the marvel movies and you know i hate to say it but the romance between tony stark and pepper mm-hmm. despite issues i might have with <laughs> other things that romance between them is what holds tony together mm-hmm Mm-hmm. especially yeah. in that final film. So, and it makes that last scene with him so impactful. So, yep. you know, romance makes the world go around people. Mm-hmm. Admit it and move on. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is one of your favorite romance tropes to read? You know, until I understood tropes, I don't think I ever really considered it. Mm-hmm. I don't really have one. I don't have one where I'm like, oh, I have to get that because of the trope. But I do like the enemies to lovers mm. uh, only because the, there seems to be so much oomph with enemies to lovers. Yeah. When the conflict is built in, like in my More Than a Lawman book, I have a I have a reporter who's paired off with a cop. I mean, that's just, yeah. that's almost built in enemies to lovers. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I also, I when it comes to writing, I love writing uh, second chance romance and reunion stories because it's got a built in history that I can really mm-hmm. mine for fodder and, and to really build up those characters. Because uh, a lot of times it's harder to get the characters to fall back in love uh, than it is to have them fall in love the first time. Mm-hmm. So that's why I like that trope too. Is there a category romance series or line you wish never went away? Oh, supers. The yes. super romance line. Mm-hmm. Oh God, I love that line. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's because it, it really mined the emotional depth of family connections. Yeah. And a lot of ways I think heartwarming has, has kind of slipped into that void. Um, 
which I'm grateful for. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, that's, that's a line I would have loved to have written for that line. (laughs) Tough love. What's been one of the toughest pieces of advice you've ever been given? Okay. So this is turning into the Melinda Curtis show. <laughs> Shout out to Melinda Shout Curtis. Out to We're actually talking to her on Friday. Are you really? <laughs> okay. So back in the day when we had our critique group, and Melinda was the was the published author, and there were about five or six of us. Uh, we established a rule, and it was her and uh, Carrie Lynn Webb was also uh, part of this, uh, and a couple of others who have since stopped writing, unfortunately. But Melinda set down the rule that when we got a rejection from either an editor or an agent, or we got you know a bad contest score or whatever, we got 24 hours to wallow and sob and cry (laughs) and drink wine and eat chocolate. (laughs) And when that 24 hours was over, you sucked it up and you got back to work. Nice. Yeah. That is it. Yeah. Um, I still do that today. In fact, we have text messages every once in a while that go fly in between the three of us, Hermie and Carrie. And um, it's, uh, I'm taking my 24 hours or um, I can't find my big girl panties. One of those things (laughs) is usually going around. And because we all get it, we all understand it and we all support each other. Mm -hmm. um, That's really, that's kind of become our mantra. So we get the, we get the 24 hour wallowing and then that's it. Okay, I have to ask a quick question because yeah. I just have to know because Sarah and I like we'll we'll be reading a book by someone that no longer writes mm-hmm. and we're always chatting like where do authors go when they yeah. stop writing? <laughs> Is there like an <laughs> island or something? <laughs> right. So for, oh. so for some of the writers that you're friends with that have stopped writing, mm. I mean, what's some of the reasons why yeah. people stop? Um, well, um, I'm thinking of two in particular. Uh, one of my really good friends used to write amazing Regency romances. Oh my God, she was so good. Uh, but publishing was just never, she would have been happy to be published, but it was never anything that she like seriously actively pursued. Okay. Writing was more of a hobby for her. And okay. she has since found new outlets for that creativity. She makes amazing bags that she sells on Etsy and she's a Ooh. grandma now. So she's got you know, she's got grandma duties and she's loving it. So it just, she didn't have that drive. And then I have another friend who, uh, the way that she wanted things to work out, weren't working out. Okay. okay. And I think she just shifted focus. I'm hoping she comes back to it. She's kind of alleged, uh, alluded to the fact on Facebook that she's thinking about doing it again. And I hope she does because she's very, very talented. Um, and so Sarah, if you're listening, I hope you get your fingers back on those keys. (laughs) We're rooting for you. (laughs) At what point in your writing career did you realize your stories meant something to readers? Uh, This actually only didn't, it happened recently. Um, And it was about, uh, I got an email from a reader who had read Safe in His Arms, which was the sixth Butterfly Harbor book, I think. And it was Kendall Davison's story. And Kendall's a a former army uh, vet who served in Afghanistan. She was injured in Afghanistan and went through a lot of stuff. Ironic, I'm speaking about this now, but um, uh, she was dealing with PTSD and uh, she had lost somebody very close to her over there. And um, I got a letter or an email from a reader who also suffered from PTSD and thanked me for portraying it in a realistic, understandable, and compassionate way. And 
that just, I read that email, I don't know how many times. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I, it's what I had hoped I had done, but I, until that moment, I don't think I realized I actually had done it to the point yeah. where it, mm-hmm. it reached somebody. So I think that was probably my aha moment. And, and ever since then, whenever I start a book, I'm like, okay, who do I have a responsibility to in this story? Mm-hmm. Because there's always mm-hmm. somebody going through something. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I deal with a lot of that in the book that's coming out in January. Um, my heroine has, she lost her best friend to an opioid overdose. Mm-hmm. And it's her wondering if she ever did enough mm-hmm. to stop it or to help oh, her. Oh gosh, I cannot wait to and that's, read that. Yeah. And she, and she falls in love with, oh, I'm, I'm, she falls in love with a race car driver who <laughs> takes risks and she is all yeah, about yeah. staying nice and safe. And there again, that comes into that conflict. Right. Mm-hmm. But um, it's, it's, it's trying to acknowledge that whatever issue or emotions that I have my characters going through, somebody out there at some point is going to pick up that book and be going through the same thing. And I never yeah. want them to think as if I have belittled it or dismissed it. I always want it to be something to reach people as opposed Mm -hmm. to offend so 15 years from now you're writing your memoir what's the title a fans girl a fangirl's life (laughs) i i feel like that sounds that's very fitting now that we've gotten to know you (laughs) i am such a geek like um i am a big band big bang level geek um you know not sheldon level no not sheldon level i'm more leonard probably because i'm not about to be howard there's no way i'm going to be howard no yeah it's probably of all of them i'm more bernadette than anybody because that girl can that girl can burn ice i mean i love bernadette she's she's my she drives my mother nuts i love her to death actually i think my mother can't hear her most of the time because her voice is so high-pitched but um no, I, um, you know, I was, I was, <laughs> my best friend and I are always, we used to be the ones who got the opening day tickets to the Star Wars movies. We yep. would camp out, you know, before the internet, um, we would camp out for tickets and we would be first show, uh, you know, first in line for the first show, all that kind of stuff. Star Trek, Star Wars, Marvel, yep. we go to sci-fi conventions. And if I, you know, if I could spend my life anywhere in one place, I would be in Disneyland. Mm. Uh, it is literally my favorite place on the planet, which hopefully I'm going next year, but we'll see what happens. So yeah, if, if I love falling into worlds created by other people, Okay. be it Marvel or Star Trek or Star Wars or, mm-hmm. or Disney. For me, it's, it's that, it's that immersive quality that just lets me forget everything else. And I can just enjoy what somebody else has created. Mm-hmm. And that honestly is, is what I hope to do with my books too. I love that. Cause it just, I love any time that you, you hear someone <laughs> speak about just loving whatever you love and like being excited about it and unapologetically just loving it. Like, I feel like we don't see, we don't see that enthusiasm for things anymore. And I just, I love that. It's just like a reminder. If you love something, love it with your whole heart, be excited about it, fangirl, geek out about it. Like it's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And stop and stop yucking on other people's yum. Thank you. Exactly. (laughs) No. (laughs) 
Um, now and then, knowing what you know now, what advice would you go back and tell yourself at the beginning of your writing career? Be open to options. Okay. Um, your career is not going to go the way you think it's going to go, you know, unless you are literally getting struck by lightning in a bottle. Um, there are going to be bumps and there are going to be challenges. Um, you know, we've talked about this. My, my, I wanted to be published in paranormal romance, single title. Mm -hmm. That is, it's still my dream and maybe it'll happen and maybe it won't. Um, if I ever have any extra time to actually write another paranormal, we'll see. If Harlequin ever brings the Nocturne series back. Before, (laughs) and you know what, before Nocturne, there was Shadows. Yes. Yes. I have that entire collection of books. That was the line I wanted to write for too. Yeah. I have, I think I'm missing maybe, I got lucky and I bought a big box of them on eBay and I may be missing like four or five. I literally have duplicates at this point to send to Sarah because anytime I see them, I'm just like one click. Got to make sure we have all of them. (laughs) I love that. We have not heard anybody else mention shadows yet. Yeah. Oh God, I love it. No, it has a dedicated shelf in my closet. Yeah. Mm. Don't be locked into one idea okay. because yeah. I think there are many different paths to success and you can mm-hmm. keep the same goal in mind and just take other ways of getting there. I never thought I would be writing for Harlequin Heartwarming, but when the opportunity presented itself, I jumped at it yeah. because who gets those kind of opportunities in that way? You just don't. Um, and like I said, you know, maybe maybe there is somebody out there who wants to publish my supernatural treasure hunters or the, <laughs> the the magical islands book I have that no agent would take on because they're like, we don't know what to do with this. And I'm like, there again, have you thought about I asking me? Because now I want them, yeah. please. <laughs> Good. I'll put you on my beta reader list. How's that? There you go. Um, Thank you. <laughs> so yeah. And, and going back to what we said before too, um, be mindful that your process is your process and your process is okay. Mm -hmm. There is nothing wrong with your process. Don't let anybody ever tell you you're doing something wrong if it works for you, because that's not wrong. That's really the crux of it. We have book 11 coming out in the Butterfly Harbor series, Worth the Risk. Is there anything else that you've coming out that you're able to talk about? I can't talk about the uh, Christmas anthology yet, but I will say it'll be out on October 19th. We love Christmas anthology. Yes. <laughs> and these are shorts. So these are, it'll be 10 collections of uh, novellas and they're oh, all wow. interconnected and it's super, super fun. And it's a great, it's a great uh, idea that we came up with for this. So really excited about that. So mark down October 19th. Um, yeah. So we'll have I have a busy year next year. So I've got worth the risk in January Mm -hmm. and in February will be prison break hostage, which is like, and I just seen the cover and the cover is like, Oh my God, fantastic. And I can't even believe that's my cover because it's, it's really different than anything else they've done. And I'm like, Oh my God, they read all the notes I made in my, in the form I fill out for my cover. Um, (laughs) So that was really excited. And they didn't make my heroine a string bean because she's not. Um, <laughs> uh, and then in the spring, I'll have a new uh, uh, anthology with Ark Manor, uh, which is about four brothers who were coming home to see Glass Bay for their father's re- remarriage. Mm-hmm. So uh, it'll be four, four brothers, uh, four authors, uh, Kayla Perrin, Melinda Curtis, and Carrie Lynn Webb. And we're doing that for Ark Manor's Kazakh Romance. Mm-hmm. And then I'll have book the last book in butterfly harbor will be out in april 
and that's the one I'm writing now, and that'll be Gil's story, uh, okay. where he falls with falls in love with his uh, competitor in the mayoral race so uh talk about conflict that's gonna be fun. yeah (laughs) that's gonna be fun that's always an interesting one to see yeah we don't see it that often so i'm excited and lastly where can everyone follow you online you know my website's probably the best place it's uh www.authorannastewart.com uh you can sign up for my newsletter which i only send out when i have a new release or some big announcement i do giveaways in all of my newsletters for uh subscribers you have to be a subscriber to be entered so i'm also on facebook at author anna j stewart i'm on twitter at aj stewart writer but follow me at your own risk because i'm unfiltered (laughs) and uncensored um it's funny when i first when i first signed up for twitter i'm like i am only going to tweet about books and then four years ago happened and that went out the window so (laughs) honestly follow me on twitter at your own risk and then i'm at on instagram which i'm hoping to get better at at anna j stewart so and just look for the red hair in the profile picture and you'll have found the right person. Yes. <laughs> I just I, I just found you on Instagram. I'm like, oh, she has a black cat. <laughs> I yeah. do. That's Sherlock. She's she's named after the kitten in the second nemesis book. Yeah. Oh nice. That is so sweet. Yeah, she's the cutest. <laughs> she is. Yeah. She's dumb as a box Sarah. of rocks, but she's adorable. Yeah. And I love that her name is Sherlock. Right? Yeah. Her name. Right? Exactly. Thank you very much. It sounds like Mike, because I have a black cat and we always say to him, it's a good thing you're cute. Yeah. <laughs> Bernard. Is yours skittish? Bernard. Mine is so skittish. Oh God, Bernard's scared of his shadow. Like Oh, thank you. Okay. <laughs> I think I think it's like been bred into them since, you know, the whole Friday the thirteenth and black cat thing. I think they're they're I was just about waiting. to say, like, black cats have this stigma of being like, you know, just something else. And like they're scared. They're the ones that are scared. Yeah. It's the sweetest thing ever. But my, my old guy who unfortunately we had to put him down a few weeks ago, he was fifteen. My other black cat, he was just he was a panther. Like he literally like was this massive 30 pound oh, black yeah. beast who, you know, but he'd meow and it'd be like, Mew. <laughs> the right? most Tyson of cats. <laughs> oh my God. I thought it was just mine. Oh, I'm so glad somebody else has a silent black cat. I'm like, girl, you need to build up your voice. Cause your sister, and- I know, right? <laughs> your sister drowns you out. <laughs> Well, this has been such an honor oh, and gosh, so yeah. much fun. Thank you for hanging out with us today. I learned so much mm-hmm. and just also had like so much fun getting to know you. And please come back. Yes. Please let this be the first time. I come will on. come back anytime <laughs> yes. you guys want. This was yeah. this was an absolute blast. Thank you so much for having me. And thank I you. I feel for- like we need to do a Shadows buddy read. I feel like yes. that's what we need to do. <laughs> We probably will have to do that. But I also wanted to thank you for this podcast in general, because you know what? I wish to God this had something like this had been around when I was, when I was first discovering romance novels and to, to put a spotlight on category romance where the authors work so hard and the mm-hmm. readership is so devoted. You are doing such great work uh, bringing this to everybody. So thank you so much for this. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's our passion, baby. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> and it literally just, it started with the book. It literally, so. yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
We're having so much fun. So thank you. And the support has been amazing. Mm -hmm. So listeners, make sure you check the show notes Mm -hmm. everywhere that you can find author Anna J. Stewart will be listed down below. We will also list where you can find her books. So check them out. Mm -hmm. And like we said, we hope she comes back. We're going to bug her until she's back on again. (laughs) (laughs) And Sarah and I will chat with you guys in our next episode. Have a lovely day, everybody. 